Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So when Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles arrived as the coaches with the Tampa Bay Bucks, I said it was one of the most qualified coaching staffs that the Bucks had had in many years. I'll tell you if I still agree with that statement. And what's up with the Bucks' slow starts? Should the NCAA expand the number of teams they have in the college football playoffs? And can G-Man Choi make another leap at first base for the Rays this season? We've got your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this Christmas Day edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Merry Christmas, everybody. And I hope you got what you wanted from Santa or from your loved one, but the chances are you know there's something that you're missing. And you probably want to take a few things back. Here's what you do. Go see our friends at Breitling Boutique in International Plaza. That's right, Breitling Boutique. They're one of only 15 in the United States. And they have welcomed championship quarterbacks, Hall of Famers as their clients. Here's the thing. They have the most gorgeous Swiss watches, timepieces you will ever see. These things are absolutely beautiful. And if you go in there, if you didn't get everything you wanted for Christmas, just by trying on one of these beautiful Breitling watches, they're going to give you a little gift of your own, a $60 Breitling cap just for coming in and trying on a watch. But here's the thing. You'll also walk out with it because they're absolutely beautiful. Go see our friends at Breitling Boutique in International Plaza and give yourself a very Merry Christmas. All right, Steve, Merry Christmas to you uh, and to everybody out there who listens to this podcast year-round. We certainly appreciate each and every one of you, and we're glad you're with us today, maybe taking a little break from uh, all the chaos that uh, that the family puts you through. <laughs> Curl up <laughs> on a couch with us. And uh, and, and we're going to give you some knowledge here with our uh, popular mailbag segment. We, segment. we got lots of good questions, so let's get started. It's weird, too. we got an NFL game on Christmas Day. That normally doesn't happen. So I know. I know. It's kind of weird. I'm normally glad normally I haven't the NBA dominates that. the day. So, Yeah, I'm glad I haven't experienced that because um, I did do – finally got to do under John Gruden a few years ago, a number of years ago, obviously, um, a Thanksgiving Day game in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Never did one in Detroit yet, but did one in Dallas. I wanted to see kind of what that was like. I missed the family, obviously, for that day because Thanksgiving is probably my favorite holiday because, I mean, it's got everything I like, right? Food and football and fun. Mm-hmm family so there's nothing wrong with that but um it was kind of cool to be there uh i have no desire to do christmas day games none because there's nothing like waking up christmas morning with if you have small children like i Mm -hmm. do um and just being around family on christmas day i've had a couple christmas eve games and those were dicey and my thanks to the glazer family and brian ford they actually got me home on christmas eve after those games we had one in cleveland i believe one time uh, and maybe one in maybe New Orleans or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, we were able to, to squeeze now, something you would never do now, of course, not allowed to in the COVID era. Um, but as it stands now, uh, the team, you know, and, and everyone's going to have to fly out at some point Christmas Day because they play 
on Saturday, which is the day after Christmas, mm-hmm. and that's unfortunate for the players, and they'll have to get up very early with their families, and at least they'll have some time uh, with them. But, yeah, Christmas Day games are tough. Now, I got to spend a Thanksgiving in Hawaii. Uh, this is really? over 20 years ago with the uh, Cincinnati Bearcats. We were in one of those oh, holiday so tournaments cool. out there. Yeah. And we got we went out, like, Monday that week. We didn't play till Friday. So we had like four days on the beach before oh, wonderful. we got to do anything, you know, before we had to work or anything. So it was, uh, but I, I was, I wasn't married. It was, you know, on your own. So it was not a big deal to be out there for Thanksgiving. It'd right. be a little harder yeah, now with be, kids and stuff, but yeah, phenomenal trip. And I, the year I always, well, my timing has always been crappy in life, but, um, the year before I covered the Florida Gators, wouldn't, you know, they played in the Hawaii bowl. <laughs> <laughs> I was like. Yeah, just missed out on that one. I literally took over like a couple days later. But you got to go to several Pro Bowls out there later. So I did. I did. I got to go to a couple Pro Bowls yeah. and went to it. And this was bizarre. Went to an NFL owners meeting out there in Maui. Even better. It wasn't even Honolulu. It was Maui. So. And now that the stadium, Aloha Stadium, is being condemned. Is it really? Yeah. Like the, the the Rainbow Warriors or whatever they're called now, the Warriors have no place to play. They have nowhere to go. Yeah. Well, it was an erector. It was an erector set stadium not far from the ocean, and I'm sure all the uh, the salt water spray out there has probably done a number on it. So um, I'm not surprised. They hold a lot of um, a lot of big sort of yard sales, if you will, or you know fe- you know things where people sell stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever you call those open free markets or flea markets or whatever you want to call them. Um, in the parking lot at that stadium is used a lot for that. But, uh, wow, didn't know that. Well, <laughs> I guess there won't be a Pro Bowl out there for a while then. Yeah, well, I was moving to Vegas this year if they would have had yeah. it. So I don't know if it it's was, ever going to yeah, leave there. there so. next year. All right, well, we'll get to some questions here for your mailbag. Uh, we'll start with David, who asked, when Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles first arrived, you said you felt it was the best, most qualified coaching staff the Bucks have had in many years. Do you still agree with that? I do. Um, I, I think this is one of the best coaching staffs they've had. I, I believe that they have experience really at, um, you know, at all the coordinator positions. Now we'll, we'll talk about Byron Leftwich here in a minute. When I say coordinator, I'm including Arians in that mix on offense because it is his offense and something that he's, you know, uh, installed and been part of and been successful with, uh, you know, all the way going back to Pittsburgh uh, days and, and before that probably. But, you know, Todd Bowles is as good a defensive coordinator as I think as there is in the league. Now, has he been perfect? No. He's had to battle some injuries, obviously, on the on the defensive line with Vita Vea. Uh, in the secondary, I think all those corners have, have played hurt, missed games because they were hurt. Uh, so it's been sort of an uneven-type uh, season at times overall. But, on, you know, still, I think they're like fifth in overall total defense, fifth or sixth in the league, which is really good. Still very good against the run. Um, so I like what they've done there. And then special teams, I mean, Keith Armstrong is one of the best in the league. Atlanta made a huge mistake letting them out uh, of Atlanta, and he's done a remarkable job. I think this is the best year. Ryan Suckup has a chance to uh, to break the Bucks' club record for field goals, also the club record for percentage. I think he's at 92%. Um, Bradley Pinion has come back and had a fantastic year punting the ball. So they've been very, very solid on special teams, and I think the coaching is a big part of it. Now, um, have they been perfect? No. And there is one big caveat, and that is Byron Leftwich. Um, and, I, again, I always preface this with my disclaimer. I like Byron Leftwich. I love him as, as just a guy to deal with, um, you know, very, very professional. He was fun to cover the one year that he was here with the Bucks with Raheem Morris as a quarterback. 
He's always upbeat. There's always a smile on this guy's face. He approaches life the way I wish I could every day. Um, and he's worked his butt off to try to do this. I, I think that people have to understand that this is only his second year being a coordinator. Um, you know, one year he, he called eight games when, um, when I think Mike McCoy was fired with the Cardinals, but it wasn't his offense. And when B.A. came, he told the Glazers, and this is on the Glazers too, um, they wanted Bruce Arians, they wanted all the coaches that he was going to bring with him, uh, and they they were okay um, with Byron Leftwich being the offensive coordinator, and B.A. let them know that, you know, from a health standpoint, he was not going to stay up every uh, every night, you know, until 11.30, 12 o'clock at night, writing scripts, game planning. Now, that's not to say he, he, he doesn't watch tape. It's not to say he's not part of the game plan. Uh, him and Byron have been in the same offense for years and years. Uh, they know what the menu looks like, right? Uh, but there is there is a knack to calling it. And I think this year of all years, uh, it wouldn't have mattered who the coordinator was or how many. If Dirk Cutter was a coordinator, he's been doing it forever. Uh, trying to, to teach Tom Brady after 20 seasons in New England a new system, if that's the direction you had decided to go, if you said, we're going to bring him down here and he wants he's going to run our system because we don't want to teach it to 21 other players um, on offense and – you know, and it's something that he's not familiar with, and, and, and we're going to expose him a little bit in protection. We're going to throw the ball vertically a lot. Um, I don't care who's calling the plays. There's going to be a huge adjustment now, and I toss in on top of that, oh, by the way, Byron, or offensive coordinator, you don't get to work with this guy until August, right? And you get about three or four weeks of practice, no preseason games, and then you're going to open at New Orleans. ha, <laughs> ha. Good luck. How do you think you would do? Um, so there's a, a big learning curve here that they weren't able to really tackle properly, and that's unfortunate, and I think it's cost them. But I do think that you know Byron uh, wasn't fast enough, in my opinion, to move closer to what Brady needs. And what he needs is protection. What he needs is a running game, a commitment to it. What he needs is play action. What he needs is pre-snap motion, those little cues that let him – read out the the off the defense faster than anybody in the NFL. I mean, this guy literally um, can process things at a, at a speed that nobody can because, of, uh, you know, he's got the cheat codes. He's done it for so long. There's nothing you can throw at him that he can't identify. And yet he had all of that plus trying to get familiar with his players. And I just think they could have made it easier on the guy, you know, um, and moved a little faster towards this collaboration that we heard about in the off season. And, I don't think it has happened well enough. Um, I think that's the reason for the slow starts. And I think they make adjustments. Some people have said, I, I was watching Get Up and all the players were like, or the, the, you know, the former players that are on that show were saying, well, you know, the first, the first quarter, the first half, that's Bruce Arians' offense. And then Tom Brady comes in at halftime and he says, no, 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 we're making these adjustments. Then he comes out and he runs his offense. And no, it's not like that. Uh, uh, there are adjustments, and if you just take the last game, you know uh, that they played against Atlanta. You know, first of all, they're playing with Leonard Fournette, who has not played for a number of weeks, has been sulking a little bit over there, and he wasn't very. He hasn't been good. He's been in their doghouse for a reason. He dropped passes. He hasn't rushed very well. I think going into that game, his last twenty carries, he averaged a little over two yards a carry. So he gets in the game, and you know. The running game is not great. They don't have Donovan Smith, which for whatever you know you want to put part of the blame on that. Um, but 
you know, there's a couple plays in there, like a screen pass that the timing's all messed up. And when Fournette catches a ball in the right, you know, on the right side for a screen pass, he decides, oh, I'm not going to get anything here. Let me let me go ahead and run backwards by 11 or 12 yards, you know, and then just put him completely out of any range to make a first down whatsoever. So when you see plays like that, some of it is the lack of continuity of the offense, and some of it is just what they've had to kind of deal with all season with injuries. You know, they went through it with the receivers in Chicago where they didn't have any that were healthy, really, even though Adam Humphreys and – or Adam Humphreys, listen to me, I'm going way back. Even though Scotty Miller uh, and, you know, Mike Evans um, played, they weren't healthy and they didn't play well. Um, so, you know, there's been a lot of moving parts to this thing. But from a coaching standpoint, it's a very good coaching staff. It's an experienced coaching staff. It's got – um, rising rising coaches are going to be good. Guys like Larry Foote, who I think if Todd Bowles left, um, he would be their defensive coordinator. And I think there's going to be people that are going to want Todd Bowles uh, to certainly interview and maybe become a head coach. I wouldn't be surprised if that one of those places were the Atlanta Falcons. I think that uh, Byron Leftwich in time will also be in the, in the mix for those interviews. I don't know if it'll be this year, but I think it's coming. So, Yes, I stand by my statement. I still agree with myself, <laughs> my shock people, uh, that uh, that this is one of the best. Because who are we comparing them to, right? I mean, Dirk Cutter had some good coaches. Um, it wasn't this staff. And, you know, going back before that, Graciano brought a lot of guys from college, and some of those guys have become superstars um, in the college game. Uh, and so I thought that was a good staff, but they didn't win. Um, so, you know, they have a chance as a, as a staff with Tom Brady, I'm not naive to that, at quarterback, is going to win at least, uh, you know, 10 games maybe or maybe 11. And that hasn't happened in a long time or very often at all in the franchise. So you have to credit the coaching staff for the job that they've had to do in a COVID era when all these other teams that are winning, guys, you know, teams like Kansas City and New Orleans and Pittsburgh, even though they're on a bit of a tailspin right now, um, Tennessee – you know, they've had some continuity of coaching and quarterbacking there for at least a couple years, some of them longer, and it's not a surprise. You know, they're, they're the teams with the coach and the quarterbacks that were going to do well, and the Bucks have managed to do well, and they really got together for the first time uh, in August. All right, we got uh, several people wrote on the next topic here, Tom, Matt, Michael, and others. But Tom had written, As a Bucks fan from the beginning of 0-26, I've seen a lot of Bucks teams that were great in the first half. This is the first time I've seen a Bucks team that's been great in the second half. I attribute that to coaching. If this team could put two halves together, they would be set. Matt and Michael went on to say, what is up with the slow starts? Is it the staff's not preparing them during the week? Is it poor play calling? Is it bad game plans? Or are the players just not prepared mentally or physically to play? Wow, there's a lot in there. Um, yeah, second half. Well, first of all, let me just make, you know, make something clear that, and I don't know if you've ever done this or aware really of it, but, you know, in the NFL, um, from the time the last whistle or the, the final horn goes off at the end of the first half until they actually kick the ball, you know how much time there is? 17 minutes. That's it. 17. So what happens at halftime is a lot of guys go to the bathroom. <laughs> a lot of guys change out some uniforms uh you know your coaches don't have they're part of that too they get together as best they can and talk to their players talk to each other but you're right back on that field man before you can say boo i mean this is not college football 
Um, this is the NFL, and it's a, and they got to get it done in three hours. It's a TV show. So, you know, first and foremost, this idea that, you know, you're going to go in there and say, okay, forget it. We're throwing away that game plan. We, we spent the whole week putting in. We're going to do this. Um, doesn't happen. What does happen, though, is, you know, usually when you start games, when you're watching film, you're trying to anticipate, okay, if we come out in this package, right, if we come out and we go, you know, three tight ends, one back, um, you know, one receiver. If we go, if we go three receivers, one tight end, one back. If we, when you when you try to put your groupings on there, you have to anticipate based on film, sort of what the defense is going to do, and and you do that, you know, because you you've got some film to look at. And in the case of Atlanta, they they've changed the way they attack offenses because Raheem Morris. For, for the most part, has taken over the defense. He's done some different things. You can't always anticipate what you're doing. The other part of it is you, you, know, you self-scout and you say, well, here's what we've always done on this down and distance out of this formation. They're watching our tape, so let's do something a little bit different. So in the game plan, there's, there's slight tweaks as well. So you don't always get what you think you're going to get when you go out there in the first quarter because their coaches are good too. And that's the thing about this league that people don't appreciate is that there's 100 hours spent during the week of, of trying to fool the other guy, right? It's chess, not checkers. So a lot of times, you know, players have to make those adjustments on the fly um, if the play is going to work. And if it doesn't work, then you go over there, and that's why you see the guys looking at the iPads and um, looking at the all-22 film and trying to figure out, okay, what they do here? What did I miss there? What was the rotation of the coverage? So there's a lot – there's a lot about slow starts, right? There's a lot about adjustments in the second half. Not to say you can't make them. One guy who makes them um, better than anybody is Sean McVay. You know, Sean McVay, I don't think, has lost a game. And this is incredible. He's never lost a game um, that he led at halftime. Well, you say, well, how can that be? Well, because he, Sean McVay has a full graphic memory. Um, he can tell you, you know, what the down and distance was three years ago on, on you know, in this game, in the third quarter, this much time, and what play he ran, you know, against a certain group, personnel group, and that's how good he is. So I think they have made adjustments. Um, what, the slow starts, uh, in my opinion, has, you know, been the, in my opinion, has been the slow evolution, uh, particularly on offense now we're talking about, of Byron Leftwich and Tom Brady kind of getting together, you know, uh, I, I think it, I think each week, I think they get a little closer to having a nice mix of, Hey, we're still going to be a vertically attacking offense. Um, you know, we're going to try to give Tom a few more play actions. We're going to give him a few more pre-snap motions. Um, you know, we're going to give him a few more underneath routes as opposed to running so many guys down the field in streaks and things like that. Uh, so we're going to protect them a little, gonna, you know, and, and what you saw, I thought what you saw on Sunday was the perfect example of the quarterback with all his years of experience and the coaching staff getting together at halftime and saying, okay, here's what we got to do. Um, and the answer was they, they had to keep, uh, you know, and this goes against the Arians sort of offense, but they had to start protecting Tom a little bit from all these blitzes. They missed a few pickups. Now they got to see it on film. They figured out whose assignment it was. They figured out how they're going to block some of those A-gap blitzes and things that they were getting home with. And once they figured that out and Brady had some time, he absolutely diced them. 
I mean, he diced them. He threw, you know, I mean, the, the ball he throws to Antonio Brown is just a die. It's just it's perfect. And so, you know, protection is number one. They never really did run the ball successfully. I think they had like seven yards on six carries in the first half, or maybe it was six yards on seven carries. Um, but then, but they did run it, and they 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 were a little more committed to it in the second half uh, when they needed to, and enough so. And I don't think you have to run it successfully, but you got to you got to run play action. You know, you have to at least slow down uh, those linebackers in case in case they have to see that the running back doesn't have the ball before they just take off up the field. So. I think that that was successful. I think they're getting there. Um, but the, the the if you took a step back, you know, the other thing is, and, and people don't realize how football, I say this every week, football is such a game of momentum, right? Um, and there's no fans there, so you can't really feed off of that. I mean, it's different. Like, I, I you know, when you watch a game on TV, you hear crowd noise, but it's it's piped in crowd noise. You don't, you, after a while, it's white noise. But it's still sound. It's still sort of emotion, you know, based on how the play goes. They do a great job with it. In the stadium, it's not like that. You know, I've been to these stadiums where, where there's no fans. And it's, it's, like a, it's like what we used to see, you know, when the, when the youth leagues would run out there at halftime. No one's really watching. Uh, and they're just playing football. It's different, you know. And so you have to generate sort of your own emotion and things like that. Well, let's take the Atlanta game. Okay, so they come out against Atlanta where there's very few fans. Um, and the first two plays, I mean, they absolutely rip, rip tackles against the Falcons. I think there was a short pass. There's a running play. And it's third and nine. Well, you can't hope for a better situation than to start a game and put the offense on their heels in its third. First of all, the offense took the ball. You know, Atlanta won the toss. And they decided they wanted the ball, which is interesting, right? So that's sort of the ins- the defense is supposed to take that personal. So on third and nine, they check the ball down to Todd Gurley. It's a give-up play, right? It's like, okay, they've covered up everybody down the field. They're obviously playing, you know, the, the, a zone at the sticks. We don't have anybody there. We're going to check it down here and hope that the guy can make first down. Well, they, they missed two tackles. I mean, they got Gurley stopped by five, six yards. And then they let him run more than nine yards across the pile you know first down now you give a team three more plays and three more plays you know uh, in the NFL can change a game I mean in the snap of a finger one of those plays might be a touchdown one might get you into field goal range and that's exactly what happened Um, Matt Ryan made a couple good throws they 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 were a little soft in some coverage Calvin Ridley started beating them Um, and then all of a sudden they're in the end zone well if you make the tackle Right, make the tackle on third and nine, and you're off the your defense is off the field, and your offense is getting the ball back in good field position. Now you've started the game. Now now you're dictating to them. You know they're on their heels, and Tom Brady has the ball, and he can go down and score. So sometimes it's just a matter of hey, make the play early that's there to be made. You know, forget about the adjustments and all of that. And I think Bruce Arians at this point has exhausted everything he can do, other than from an offensive standpoint, Byron Leftwich has to do a better job. I don't know how, how to say it. When you've had six games in a row that you've started games poorly, and some have been on defense, but then, you know, the other part of the defensive part of it is like, look, you know, when, when you go three and out the first three times you touch the ball or you go one first down the first four times you had the ball, you're putting your defense back on the field too much. It's a complimentary game. You know, those guys – they, they need a break, too. 
And by the same token, if your offense does go three and out like they did um, against the Minnesota Vikings, you can't let them have just five plays in the first quarter. I mean, you've got to get off the damn field. You can't let a team ball control you all the way down the field in a 15-play drive and use up the entire first quarter. So, again, it's both sides of the ball. It's not just the offense. I think there are some things that specific to the offense they, they, they've been slow to do. Um, but as far as the second half goes, and, again, every answer, every question is answered this way, Tom Brady. What has Tom Brady not done, right? New England was, was, has been you know, the best ever with Tom Brady in making those adjustments. He has the most comebacks from 10-point deficits than any quarterback in the history of the game. Some of that is longevity. Some of that is he's just smart as hell, and he knows what teams are doing, and he knows how to combat it. So there's no situation he hasn't seen, and Tom Brady is a big reason why Byron Leftwich and others are able to make those adjustments. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So you mentioned the defense, Rick. I mean, Joe asked, why does the Bucks secondary look so bad compared to earlier in the season? You know, I think it's health. Uh, I really do. I, I think that, you know, early in the season they did look good because I think they were all healthy. And, you know, uh, this is a, a sport of attrition. This is NASCAR, right? I mean, <laughs> who wins the race in NASCAR? The car that can run up front the longest because after a while – Somebody's going to bang you into a wall. You're going to, you know, you're going to lose something. Something's going to fall off on the track off your car and you're out of the race. Well, it's the same thing in the NFL. Um, you know, you, you need a little bit of luck. And, you know, if you, if you really go back and look at it, when the season started, who was their best corner? Carlton Davis. I mean, Carlton Davis was talked about for the Pro Bowl. Um, he had four interceptions fairly early in the season. And he was playing lights out. And, and he got a little banged up. And then... Jamal Dean was was taking a step. Remember the play he made against Green Bay? Absolutely turned the entire game around. Jamal Dean was playing great. Then he gets a concussion. Sean Murphy Bunting has been dealing with some things all season long. Now, he hasn't missed games, um, but he doesn't feel good. You know, he's not healthy. He's not 100%. And, you know, you combine some of the injuries, um, you know, with the fact that they're still young players for the most part. They added a new safety in Antoine Winfield Jr., who I think has been spectacular. Uh, I think Jordan Whitehead has played terrific at safety. I think their safeties have been the strength, actually, of their of their um, secondary. Um, but it, it's just it's little things, you know what I mean? It's just they've kind of like death by a thousand paper cuts. And then the other part of it is, you know, you have to consistently get pressure on the quarterback, and at times they've not done that. I think Todd Bowles went through a period where. You know, their personality is really be aggressive, man coverage, um, you know, use their length. Um, you know, some guys, some of those guys can run. I think Carlton Davis runs pretty well. Uh, but for the most part, they're, they're, you know, they're better sort of when they're, when they're playing man-to-man press coverage, right? Um, and he went through a period where he decided, well, you know, you, 
and some of these teams, you got to pick your poison. It's like, you know, if you play press coverage, they could get we could give up a, a big strike early. If we if we play off, then um, you know they have to make a lot of plays to get down the field. We're not letting the ball go over our heads. Well, you know, so you saw what happened in Kansas City, and I don't know why that plan was even enacted, but basically they they tried to take away Tyree Kill with Carlton Davis. Well, the ball kept going over their heads until until Tyreek Hill had 200 yards in the first quarter. And so they've had to make the adjustment. The adjustment they made on Sunday I thought was spectacular. Here's what they did. So uh, Matt Ryan's having a lot of success. They're, they're playing a lot of zone. They're trying to keep the ball in front of them as best they can, keep it from going over their heads. But Calvin Ridley is a great route runner, and they're, they just, they're giving them you know, technique-wise way too much room. And Matt Ryan is throwing the ball in between those zones um, proficiently, and, and, and they're moving the ball all over the field, and they're, they, they're up 17 to nothing. Well, what they did in the second half was is kind of a combination of press man and zone. They still kept the safeties over the top, but they got those corners up on the receivers so they couldn't get off the ball you know, free, and, and they, they tightened up their coverage a little bit on the outside. And that didn't give Matt Ryan an easy target you know, to just go into those windows and pick them apart. So Matt Ryan had to hold the ball a little bit. Then when um you know they you know Dirk Cutter's biggest fear was that pass rush and it didn't get home at all in the first half. And the reason it didn't get home was because they used eight man fronts. They decided we're going to protect Matt Ryan. We're going to keep a tight end in. We're going to keep a back in. Okay? And it was working cuz Matt Ryan is always going to be in the pocket. Um we've seen him absolutely get destroyed by teams like New Orleans and others in the pass rush. When Matt Ryan has time, any NFL quarterback, he's going to pick you apart. But you don't have as many guys out on the on the routes. You know, you've only got maybe two outside receivers now. So what the Bucks did was they said, "All right, well, we'll double your two outside receivers. We'll you know we'll we'll figure out how to cover the tight end inside. But if you keep those guys in, every time that Devin White saw that the back was staying in protection, he would blitz, and he managed to find a few holes, you know, to run through." Uh, in, in the in the scheme, when he saw the, the back was in, then he actually beat the running back, or the running back, you know, didn't see him coming, or or went to another side, or whatever. So that was one of the adjustments they made on defense. So I, I, again, it's a team game. It's a combination of, of of rush and coverage. The defensive backs looked a lot better when Matt Ryan didn't have time to throw. Uh, that's always going to be the case. You know, when they played Patrick Mahomes, they got pressure on Patrick, but Patrick is a freak. Patrick decides I'm going to back up 15 yards. Well, it's it's hard to to rush a guy if he's going to go to you know 15 yards behind the line of scrimmage. You're still you're still huffing and puffing trying to get there. Meanwhile, five six seconds are going off the clock, and he just throws a laser backwards. You know, running backwards 25 yards on a dime. So, you know, it, it, it's funny. It's a tough league. Every week is different. Um, but I would just say the combination of they've had some injuries back there, um, and you know I I think. I think at times Todd Bowles, you know, has sort of tried to do get away from his personality a little bit. I think they just need to continue to be aggressive, let those guys play up on the receivers, and if they're healthy, I think they can do a good job um, if the pass rush can get home. So uh, they're young and they're not; they don't have the swagger. Look, Sean Murphy Bunting will probably write about this week. You know, when he went into Detroit a year ago and his family was there and and he was playing the best ball he had played all year, he wound up with. Three interceptions on the year. He had to pick six in Detroit. That guy had a ton of swag. Well, you don't see that right now. And I think it's because he's hurt. I think it's because he's struggling a little bit with his technique. Uh, and, 
he's being asked to not, you know, just play inside at nickel, but also play outside because they've had some injuries at the corner position. So all of that is a long, long answer for why does the secondary look so bad, but it's not one thing. It never is one thing. It's, it's a team sport. And the easy answer is they just got to play better. All right. Ellis asks, we all thought winning would equate to more pro bowl selections. Why are the Bucks still unable to get multiple players to the Pro Bowl? And why do they still allow the fan vote to affect which players get selected? Yeah, you know, it's funny that it's a third. The fan vote is a third. I think if you if you look at it in that standpoint, there were a lot of guys from the fan vote standpoint that, that would have made it. You know, if you just took the fans, I think, uh, you know, I think Devin White would have made it. Um, I think Alex Kappa was leading at right guard. Um, you know, uh, they probably would have had more representatives if it were just the fans, but the fans don't vote. Uh, they're not the only ones. And so, you know, it's, it's hard to explain. I've never gotten the Pro Bowl votes myself. I've never gotten how – I know a lot of teams, you know, some of it is did they play this team. You know, you vote for the entire league. You vote for your, your, your conference. And some teams, if you played them, you know them very well. And some teams you don't – you know, little secret about NFL players is they don't get a chance to watch much NFL football. You know, they're playing on Sundays. Um, they might catch a Monday night game. They're also tired, you know. They're going to stay up Thursday night and watch other teams. So, you know, if, if you don't appear on their schedule, they may not know you. Uh, the fans know you, and we thought that the five national TV games would help in their Pro Bowl votes. We really did. Um, but they they take this vote of the players about two weeks before they actually come out. So, like, for example, Devin White's breakout game, you know, that he had on Sunday – was not part of the Pro Bowl vote. If he had had that game earlier on national TV, you know, maybe he makes it. Um, you know, and I usually a young player makes it the year after he should have made it. You know what I mean? Like Devin White should have made it this year. He'll probably make it next year if he puts up the same tape. So it just kind of goes that way. But there's just there's not a lot of spots. I mean, you know, this year in particular, since they're not playing the game, um, you're not going to have a bunch of guys opt out you know, they're not going to the Pro Bowl or maybe their team is running deep into the playoffs uh, and they can't go because they play the Pro Bowl before the Super Bowl. And then you have all these replacements. I mean, there were a couple of years, last few years, like 100 guys have made the Pro Bowl. And I would have thought that, you know, Devin White, Levante David, Carlton Davis, some of those guys would have would have probably been in the top two or three and would have actually gone to the Pro Bowl for some of the opt-outs and whatnot. That won't be the case this year. Um doesn't Look, some I, of this have to do with, though, like Carlton Davis was leading the fan vote for a while? Yeah. And, and then he got lit up by Tyreek Hill. Absolutely. And all of a sudden now he wasn't watched that on national TV yep. and they said, you know what? That is not a Pro Bowl corner. They, they, a Pro Bowl corner yeah, doesn't do that. The Bucks struggled on a lot of their, their primetime games early. They didn't in the do well two. at all. They didn't play well. Yeah. I mean, you're right. The Bears, That's the Giants point, was a struggling. Uh, the yeah. Saints crushed them at, at Ray J. Yeah. Uh, and those are the games where more of the players they get to in see the league it. are seeing you. That's a great point. It's a great point. Their national TV games were, were abysmal. Chicago was bad. Um, you know, you go right down the line. Hell, for my money, like I, I like Kyler Murray a lot, and we're always looking for the next thing. Kyler Murray should not have made the Pro Bowl, in my opinion. You know, he, he does some interesting things. He's got good numbers, and he's won games. He's got the Cardinals in position. I mean, I like, again, like Kyler Murray a lot. I completely understand Aaron Rodgers. And I completely understand um, who's the other NFC Russell quarterback. Wilson. Russell Wilson. Yeah, Russell Wilson. Who's having it? Those guys are having MVP like type seasons. Um, but you're going to tell me that Brady 
Brady isn't better than Kyler Murray? What? Like his numbers are better. You know, the, again, the thing that Kyler Murray gives you is the element of running the football, and you know he's gotten his team in contention. They're probably not. They may not make the playoffs, um, but he had some good games on national TV. And yeah, I think that's when players get to see you. So it, there's some something to it being a popularity contest. There's something to all of that. Look, I was happy for Jason Pierre-Paul. I think, you know, Jason has done some things. I mean, his stat line is ridiculous. I mean, when you look at a guy that moved from a 4-3 to a 3-4 at outside linebacker, not only does he have nine and a half sacks again, um, but he also has two interceptions. So, you know, uh, never comes off the field, is just a baller, and everybody knows it. And so I was happy for him. But should there have been more? Yeah, probably. I mean, I think I don't think Warner with San Francisco is is the player. He doesn't have the stat line that, you know, the splash plays maybe that Devin White has or Levante David. But, you know, San Francisco was in the Super Bowl last year and they've been on national TV a lot. And like I said, he I don't I don't think he made it last year to the Pro Bowl. He probably had a Pro Bowl year last year, but he made it this year. And that's what I mean. Sometimes you make it the year after you should. Um, he still got over 100 tackles and all of that. So, yeah, Pro Bowl, it's tough because some guys have incentives, you know, that pay them money if, they, if they're if they named to the Pro Bowl uh, out of the gate if they're one of the starters. But, um, yeah, I, I, you made the best point. They did not play well in those national TV games. All right, Shea asked, Tristan Wirth should be the offensive rookie of the year. I know he won't, but why exactly is that? Is it just because skill position players are more flashy? You think fantasy football plays a part? Make your best case for Wirth as an offensive rookie of the year. Well, my best case is that since I've been doing this and it's been like 30 years, um, I've not covered a guy on in, in football that has come in as a rookie and been as solid as he is. It just doesn't happen. And, um, you know, you almost never, with the exception of, I think, uh, was it Khalil Mack maybe in Chicago um, when they got behind, you know, against the Bears. Mm-hmm. Uh that's the only time I saw Chris, Tristan Wirfs look like a rookie. And it wasn't even really his fault. It was just that they they had a piss-poor effort running the football and they were throwing every down. They got way behind. You know, they had that one ridiculous series where he got abused because they had 60-something yards of penalties on one series, if you can fathom that. But I I wouldn't have a problem giving Tristan Wirfs rookie of the year. But, you know, we know, we know that in football um, – we, a lot of people watch the ball, and if you watch the ball, you miss the game. And, you know, Worfs has just been so solid. And 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 beyond that, like, he, he, he's such – you know, he's the nicest guy in the world, but he's so athletic. Like, he's like a dancing bear. His feet are great. He's so strong. And there was one play last week where uh, Brady had to step out of the pocket. He had his guy blocked, and he blocked him. Then Brady got some pressure from the other side. And Wirfs came off his guy and just, like, pancaked the guy that was chasing Brady. And so he took out two guys on one play. I was like, that's extraordinary. Like, just to be able to make that reach and to get to the other guy and, and, and you know, the physicality of that, um, I think he's been terrific. He's definitely an all-rookie player. I think he he's another guy that could have been in the Pro Bowl if you like offensive line play. Um, to me, he's their best offensive lineman. I think he's better than anybody else they have, period. He's better than Orion Jensen or Ali Marpet or Donovan Smith. Right now, he's better. He's special. And, 
I would be surprised when people take a step back and they really watch this guy's tape if you know he doesn't make five, six, seven Pro Bowls if he stays healthy because he's that good. He is a rare, rare talent, and and I agree with you that you know it's unfortunate um, there will be a skill player because everybody again likes the touchdowns. It's, you don't have a stat line, you know. What, what are you showing people? Always oh, rookie of the year. Well, I'd have to watch tape to figure that out. Well, you know? and, and it, go back to your Pro Bowl point too. If you're not playing the Bucks and watching the tape, you don't. You're not seeing. You you're see not him. seeing him on Sports Center at night. You're not seeing him. Right. Uh, you know highlights on NFL.com that you're streaming. Right. You know, unless you're playing the Bucks or watching a Bucks game, you you're not mm-hmm. seeing him at all. And that's those are ones where it's the year or two later that those guys get the recognition. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Michael asks, and we'll switch to some college football. And we've discussed the last couple of days with Tom Jones and then Matt Baker yesterday. Do you think the NCAA should expand the number of teams in the playoffs, and how soon do you think that could happen? Well, I don't know how soon it'll happen because they have a TV contract. I think there's another three, there's four or five partner. years left of that. I believe. Yeah, your so. partners have to agree to it. Although I don't know why they wouldn't. Well, because it's more. Here's the thing. I mean, yeah, you have a contract for five more years, but if ESPN says, "Hey, here's another billion dollars a year to," yeah. To, to expand it to eight, it'll happen. I mean, but ESPN has to be willing to pay that money. That's right. They have to have the money, and, and it's certainly more programming for them. And, um, you know, I think uh, I think it's going to happen. I think this year, and I've been on my soapbox with this, and you heard me talk to Matt Baker about it the other day. I, I just think we're, we're at a point now where um, – you know, it used to be college football wanted the regular season to count for something. You know, this was the excuse, right? Well, if we put everybody in the playoffs, then it doesn't matter what happens in the Well, okay, so now we just saw a season where they pretty much told everybody, we don't care about the regular season. Well, how'd they tell us that? Well, the Big Ten has a team that, you know, made the championship or made the college football playoffs that played six games, including their conference tournament, including their conference championship. Six games. Um, so, and, you know, and I'm not knocking Ohio State. I mean, I get it. it. It's a brand. But but this has become a TV show. This has become about ratings, right, and not opportunity. And a team like Cincinnati, who, you know, is not a Power 5 school, and quite frankly, how many Power 5 teams do you think want to schedule them, by the way? If they went around the country and said to, you know, Oklahoma, hey, you want to play us? Or Florida, hey, you want to play us? The answer would be no, <laughs> you know. Um, we got a tough enough conference schedule. We're not going to play the best team in, in the American Athletic. Why would we do that? So they're stuck in the American Athletic where there's some good teams. They, you know, they, they played some ranked teams at the time they played them, but it was, you know, Tulsa and Army, um, SMU. And so those aren't brands, right? Those aren't college football brands right now. And Cincinnati did everything they could possibly do. They went out there and had a, you know, a perfect season. And they would no more have a chance at getting in the postseason under this format ever. So you're telling everybody that's not in the Power Five, essentially, hey, go pound sand. Even those teams that beat teams in the Power Five wound, wound up being ranked beneath the teams they beat. And, you know, like Iowa State, it didn't make any sense. So if you're going to do that, then you're telling the world, hey, you know, for, this is all smoke and mirrors, you know. And and let's stop calling them student-athletes, too, by the way, because this is about – they're now at least semi-pro because they're playing for the TV dollar. They're playing 
um, you know, to make money for the conferences, for the universities, and for the TV networks. And that's what we really care about is a brand. You know, Notre Dame's a brand. Um, Alabama and Clemson the last, you know, decade have been a brand. But you're, you're going you're to get the same blue bloods with the exception of a few every single year. And what, what I think that sports is about, what I think that makes the NCAA tournament so great, what makes anything you go to see so great is just the opportunity for the little guy to get over, you know? Maybe they don't win a national championship, but maybe every once in a while, Boise beats Oklahoma, right? And I still remember that game, the Statue of Liberty play, all of it, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to have the opportunity for Coastal Carolina to play somebody in a Power Five. I want to see it because they have this offense that no one can stop. They may not win. They may get blown out, but you know what? Here's the dirty little secret. How many points do you think Notre Dame loses to Alabama by? 25? Mm-hmm. 30? It's probably I mean, already they're 17 points. Yeah. 17 points. So you're telling me that we've got a semifinal, the top four teams in the country, and there's a 17-point difference between number four and number one. Mm-hmm. So why can't I get a, power five, a non-Power 5 school? I mean, how much – were they going to be favored by 30? I mean, so I just want I, – I want the opportunity for teams when they start the season to say, hey, we can win a national championship. Because what they're saying is, no, you can't, because we're not even going to invite you to the party. You know? we're not. You're not even coming. So it's it's disappointing, and I do think this year has highlighted that. I do think there will be expansion. I don't know how that's going to work because that's an agreement between the TV networks, but there seems to be a lot of momentum for it. And um, I get why these four teams are in this one. I do. Because, I mean, first of all, let's say you take Texas A&M. You think anybody, and I mean anybody, wants to see a rematch because Texas A&M would have been number four. You think anybody wants to see Alabama play Texas A&M again? Texas A&M don't even want to see Alabama play Texas A&M again. Um, So... You know, that's that's sort of what the problem is here. But, uh, yeah, I hope they change it. I don't know that they will, but I think it's coming sooner than later. All right, we'll wrap it up on this one. And we've got several other questions we may get to next week. We'll do another mailbag. But yeah, we'll wrap it up with this. Brian asked, do you see G-Man Choi having another leap improvement as he had last offseason and locking up first base further for the Rays? Well, first of all, my hat's off to G-Man Choi because I had no idea no idea that this guy was as athletic as he is. Mm-hmm. Um, his ability to uh, not just not just his hands and scoop the ball, pick the ball, but his ability to to do it in a full split uh, is just I, I I'm stunned by it. Every time I see it, I'm like, how the heck does he do this? Um, he's a a way way better first baseman than anybody gave him credit for, at least me, and. I think he gets better all the time. What I think G-Man Choi can do is, you know, he flirted a little bit with switch hitting. I think that's probably gone. Um, I think he could hit for more power. You know, I think he could give them a lot of home runs if he wanted to. Um, And, you know, he makes a lot of contact, which they kind of need in that lineup. He can hit it to all fields. He can hit the ball out to all fields. So if I were looking for something for G-Man Choi, I don't know what more he can do on defense because I think he's really good. Um, but I do think that he could be one of those guys that could give them a, a lot more home runs, uh, if he chose to go that way mm-hmm. and they, they could use that. But 
Man, G-Man brings so much to that clubhouse and so much to that lineup and is so much a Rays-type guy. Um, it's been a real pleasure to watch him. I, I, I'm a big – every time he comes up, I'm a G-Man, I'm a G-Man fan, man. i got to watch him. I think I saw that uh, the Rays had tweeted out a couple days ago, so I think we're either 97 or 98 days away from opening day. That's it. That's all we got. Yeah, less than 100. It's mm-hmm. amazing. I mean, it literally feels like they just stopped. I mean, that's going to be the thing, right, with this this pandemic and hockey starting up again. And um, Yeah, we're 19 we're there, days we're, from hockey. 19 days yeah. from the Lightning lifting that banner up. Unbelievable. Or, we're almost 2021. I guess the question 20. is, will the Lightning lift the banner? I don't know if you saw the Lakers celebration the other day. Um, so what, they had the they, do? they had the families give out the rings to the players because there's no fans in the stands in California. Oh, okay. So they had their families give out, which was really cool. But they had a, just a banner up in the rafters that says "coming soon" or something like that. Huh. And they're not going to unveil the banner until the fans are there until to, the fans to do it are with able them. to watch them. That's a so great idea. Too. I wonder what the now the Lightning presumably they're going to have some fans. Though. They haven't announced, but I, I assume they'll have similar amount of fans as the Raptors are having right now. Yeah. Um, so. I don't know if it'll be you know three, four, five thousand fans. So will they yeah. do the same? Will they unveil it? Will they wait? It'll be interesting to see what they do. But yeah, you may be waiting a while to get a ton of people in there. But um, but we'll see. It's it, it's it's interesting that the Lakers did it that way. Yeah, I it thought was, it was, it was cool pretty cool. The, yeah, the, yeah, I thought it was cool the way they had the the family members involved. Mm-hmm. That was neat. Yep. So thanks for all your questions um, and. Look, we're we're here every Monday through Friday. We hope you have a safe holiday. Be be smart out there. Don't get together with too many people. <laughs> um, wear a mask if you do. But uh, we want everyone to come back to us. Uh, and uh, next week we'll ring in the new year. We've got uh, the Bucks, of course. Um, you know, coming up uh, at Detroit tomorrow. Uh, that's a little little weekend bonus tomorrow, right? Yeah, Saturday at 1 o'clock. So, you know, move your calendars up. Move your uh, you know first game of the weekend for the NFL. Well, actually, no, there's one today. But right. uh, the first game tomorrow where there's several NFL games. So Exactly. And listen, if you're disappointed with that Christmas gift you got today, don't be disappointed, okay? You, you still have time. Go out when uh, the stores reopen, especially in International Plaza, and see our friends at Breitling Boutique. They're one of only 15 in the United States. Here's what you wanted, right? You wanted a beautiful Swiss timepiece. They got them. They got gorgeous watches. And these are worn, by the way, by Hall of Fame quarterbacks, by um, championship boxers. I mean, you name it. They're going to treat you the same way. And if you go in there, and maybe you want an extra gift just for yourself, if you don't buy a watch, but you try one of these watches on, I think you're going to walk out with one. But if you don't, at the very least, you're not going to be empty-handed. They're going to give you a $60 Breitling cap just for coming in and trying on one of those Swiss time pieces. So go see your friends at Breitling Boutique in International Plaza and have a safe and very Merry Christmas, everybody. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.